Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Examine Life podcast, where we take some of life's thorniest questions and deconstruct them in a pragmatic and philosophical way so that you can lead a more productive, examined, and joyful life. Today's guest is Jeff Madoff, who is an entrepreneur, a college professor, an author, a playwright, um, self-described uh, promiscuous, uh, formerly promiscuous individual, which we'll talk about. Um, and our question today is one that's near and dear to my heart. What is creativity? Good to have you here, Jeff. Well, thank you for having me on. And I just heard my wife dialing the lawyer uh, once you <laughs> mentioned my checkered past. So, uh, so we'll start with what is a lawsuit? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Welcome to the Examine Life podcast where we, um, well, yeah, you know, in the prep call, we, we you know, it's Friday afternoon. Um, I just surfed. So we, we were talking about masturbating monkeys. So we're, we're, we're going, we're going places on, on, on today's <laughs> episode. But Jeff, we, we were, um, we reconnected after many, many years uh, in New York recently at an event a Rad Reads community event. And as people were, you know, there was a bunch of uh, meet and greets and, and prompts. And as you introduced yourself to, to new uh, faces there, how did you describe yourself? You know, interestingly, I usually don't. I just start mm. talking and, and until somebody asks, you know, uh, I don't want to be a human billboard promoting who I am. And, you know, if the conversation is engaging and somebody says, well, so well, what, what do you do? You know, then I tell, uh, yeah. so I don't sort of lead with here's who I am and look at my resume before we speak. Uh, because you know, <laughs> you may not be interested in me. I may not be interested in you. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think the true way to find out is you just start to talk with each other without qualification but, yeah. and see if, the result of talking to each other is engagement or you're already looking for the exit from yes. that group to some other. And, you know, as by the way, as I anticipated, uh, when I got the invitation to your gathering was it would be nice people, you know, it'd be good people. And it was, it was really nice. But, uh, so I don't usually lead with that. If people say to me, so what is it that you do? Mm -hmm. Someone asked you that at the event. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fair. And I said, well, it depends on when you ask. But uh, I've had a number of different careers. And that's a whole other question, by the way, is what is a career anymore? Do they career, even career. exist? You know, do yeah. careers actually exist anymore? Uh, and so I just give a very quick capsule of that. I started off as a fashion designer, started my own company, uh, built that up. I uh, moved to New York, started a film production company, was a producer and director for many, many years, also 40 years uh, for clients such as Ralph Lauren, Victoria's Secret, Harvard School for Public Health, uh, just a wide range, Radio City Music Hall, the Metropolitan Museum, a lot of things like that. Uh, taught a course called Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas at Parsons School of Design in New York City. Uh, wrote a Which book. Which I audited the, um, you, while I was yes, still working at Black BlackRock and uh, 10 years ago. That's right. That's where we were just children then. You know, uh, I don't even think you were able yet to grow a beard, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and uh, I definitely didn't drink. <laughs> you did. I didn't check what was in your bottle. You did have something. Mm -hmm. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so... Most recently, I've sort of added to that list, which is Playwright, where my play personality, the Lloyd Price musical, which I'm also the lead producer on, we had our first commercial run in 2022, and then uh, we finished a run this summer in Chicago, and we're now heading to England for the next Beautiful. iteration of the production. So I've done a number of different things, and some of them overlapping, like the mm -hmm. teaching and the writing the book and doing the film work. Uh, that's kind of the quick capsule of the various things I've done. You are a true uh, multi-hyphenate. So <laughs> I am, um, it's an, it's, it is an honor and it's, I mean, how many lifetimes did you live to, to accomplish all, all of those different, different things? 
Uh, I don't have any evidence that there's any more than one. So, <laughs> so I just want to try to. My daughter, my six-year-old has been asking about reincarnation and, and she's like, can you come back as a stone? Can you come back as a grapefruit? Uh, the other day she said, can you come back as a butt cheek? Uh, so- just one? Just one just butt one. cheek? <laughs> yes, just one butt cheek. But uh, Jeff, as you look at your that 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 range of careers, so fashion designer, film product producer, uh, college professor, author, and playwright. Those are five. I, I think I'm probably missing one or two. With that, with the benefit of hindsight, can you pull out a through line? Yeah, oh, on, yeah. It, what's the through line? You- uh, the through line is is that I always went after things that were interesting to me, mm-hmm. and so the the through line is engagement and a I sense of what I was doing. I had fun doing that. It gave me the opportunity to constantly learn. Uh, that I was engaged and loved the process of what I was mm-hmm. doing. Because I think loving process, which is where all the work actually happens, yeah, is uh, really important. So the through line was always that. I never let the fact that I didn't know anything about the business I was going into, I never let that uh, stop me. Uh, yeah. I was ignorant of each of those fields when I started them, but I'm not stupid. And no, no, no. ignorant... You can learn stupids forever. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so uh, it was always, wow, that's really interesting. And I could have mm. never predicted any of those things that I was going to yeah. go after. There's no master plan. And it is that just what excites me, what lights me yeah. up, what what gets me going. You know, it's, it's so amazing. And for, for, for listeners, you know, Jeff and I connected a decade, maybe eight years ago, and then we haven't seen each other since, but have been tracking each other through the socials and so on. And it's, it's uncanny to hear you say that. You said engagement, um, and I forget the other phrase that you said, but one thing in my coaching practice and in just my life mantra is to follow aliveness. And, you know, I've been thinking people like, what are your goals for 2024? We're recording this in January. It'll come out in February. What are my goals? I did say I have a goal to meditate an hour a day and then just to continue pursuing aliveness. Because as you said, the process, the aliveness, the engagement, the fun, follow the fun. If you have, I think if you have above average intelligence and a little bit of determination, if you follow the fun and the aliveness, you're going to end up in a good place. And even if you don't, you won't have re- you wouldn't have regretted regretted it. Well, so that that begs two questions. Number one, yeah. how do you define aliveness? Mm-hmm. And and what is that in contrast to? Mm-hmm. How do you define aliveness? So maybe what is it in contrast to is like dead feeling dead inside? I know that one phrase, I think it's a, a Zeppelin song. I, 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 I'm not a big Zeppelin fan, but comfortably numb. I think that uh, uh, a lot of folks that are listening to this podcast uh, that are in these kind of high, high performing jobs, demanding jobs that are very one dimensional, very extrinsically motivated, um, have this kind of com- the com- comfortably numb feeling. So that's what aliveness is not, or in contrast to. I um, one of the things aliveness I, I think is uh, you forget to go to the bathroom. So it's like, well, what's what are things that you're so obsessed with and engaged that you forget to go to the bathroom um, to to do? That would be one. Another now, is that I, is that to say, by the way, that when you're I have doing a cop your work, under my <laughs> yeah, are you wearing an adult diaper or what are you? <laughs> Oh, uh, yes. Uh, so, uh, that's a visual that we all c- <laughs> could use without. But <laughs> I was a, an adult baby for Halloween and uh, when I was 26 <laughs> once. So, um, but I think a, an, another one is there's no need for you. You mentioned the process. There's no need for the reward. 
And, and I'm very careful on this because I always ask myself this question. I love writing. I write every day. But if I were to write something beautiful, I would be deeply engaged in the process. I'm writing a 5,000 word essay on the post-achievement professional this weekend. So I love writing. But if I hit delete when I was done, I wouldn't have the satisfaction. There's something would be missing. And so I always wonder, I'd love to hear your thought on this is someone will say, I love writing. I love art. I love, you know, um, making YouTube videos and they do love the process, but I think, and I, and I, I'm calling bullshit on myself. I think we delude ourselves because what, what, what I'm saying when I say I love writing is I love writing and I love validation, but I, I don't know the ratio. Is it 80 parts writing, 20 parts validation? 90, 10, 50, 50. Um, and so, so I'm always careful with that because I, I, what I was going to say is that aliveness kind of removes the outcome from the equation, but I still care about the outcome. I, I probably care a lot less than others, and I definitely care less than I used to, but I still care. So my question to you is, what do you think of what I just, how do you define aliveness and how do you truly, you know, do you have to become an ascetic monk and write and then like literally not care one drop about the outcome, just be obsessed with the craft? Or is that too idealistic of a, a, of a vision for, for aliveness or detachment from the outcome? I don't even think that it's possible. Uh, I, I think that we can have different outcomes and it may not be the traditional outcome of, yeah, I wrote this and I was able to sell it and, you know, I make a living doing that. And I love that. Uh, doesn't mean that you don't love the process of writing, uh, but we all do something, uh, with some kind of outcome hoped for or otherwise. Yeah. So I think that you can love the process of writing. But to write and say, and I don't care, then why bother putting it down? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. so I think that, you know, it doesn't have to be a financial transaction. Right. But, uh, you know, if you write something and you post it and somebody comments intelligently and saying, and yeah, and, and what you wrote really made me think about whatever, mm -hmm. that's gratifying. Yeah. You know, now yeah. you might not have defined that, that outcome. Uh, but we write and like all creative activities, I think what we do is try to connect. You know I mean? And I think that those connections are what's profound and can reinforce the activity, uh, yeah. and do that. And it's, you know, it's interesting because I've written a book and I've written a play. Now writing the book is a very solo activity. Yep. Uh, but once the book is done, you know, you may get responses, critical reviews, reviews on Amazon or, or must reads and that kind of thing. When I did the play, when I'm sitting there during previews and it's the first time that you have an actual paying audience come in, do they laugh at the jokes? No, no. You know, are they engaged with the music? Uh, are they wrapped? Is their attention wrapped when there's a serious dramatic scene? And so I'm mm. kind of seeing the many outcomes and the overall yeah. impact that the play has. And that's a different kind of an outcome. Yeah. So I don't think that being detached from outcome, I don't look at that as an admirable trait. Uh -huh. uh, I look at that, honestly, I look at that as a self-protection mechanism uh. because I don't believe that anybody doesn't actually care. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. that's, that's self-protection. That's not, how your emotions truly function. Yeah. Uh, but you can set up that kind of, well, yeah, it doesn't make any difference to me. I don't really care. I write for myself. Bullshit. Mm. I don't mm. believe mm. it. Uh, mm. Because again, why else even put it down? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I get, you know, there, there's definitely my Eastern philosophy influence there where, you know, there's a, there's a quote that I really love from the Bhagavad Gita that is, you have the right to your work, but not the fruits of your work. And so there's this, I feel like there's this 
this balance between being clinging too much to the outcome and, and the control that one seeks versus the true kind of Buddhist Zen detachment where it's like, it doesn't like nothing, nothing matters. Right. And I, you're like, what's there's a, there's a healthy sweet spot. I sus suspect between the, those two polarities. Well, if, if nothing matters, then neither does that concept of nothing matters. Yeah. Yeah. So, man. so everything is kind of reduced to nothingness. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, the, why not enjoy the fruits of your labor? Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, what's, what's the matter with that? Uh, mm -hmm. and by the way, that can mean just sharing it with a few friends. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, when you started off and one of the ways we kept in touch is, you know, I would get your newsletter and, uh, your blogs or whatever, and, you know, read kind of, you were documenting what you were going through in many ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, that mattered to you mm -hmm. and yeah. it's led to what you're doing today yeah. and having, you know, 75 people or however many show up at your thing because they're interested in you and that's part of the outcome. Yeah. So I think that there's nothing to matter with having a desired outcome or embracing yeah. some outcome that you didn't expect or yeah. learning from something because the outcome wasn't what you expected. Yeah. But I, I, I don't see anything noble in detachment. Uh, from yeah. detachment, I see self-protection oh, and yeah. fear. Avoidant. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. It, it's, it's not as much avoidance. It's that I think in order to be creative, truly, you also have to put yourself at risk. And putting yeah. yourself at risk means you put your ideas out there. Not everybody's going to like them. And you're going to yeah. get criticism and, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, yeah. And so a way to protect yourself from that is basically, you know, well, I don't really care. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it comes to, I'll just add this. It comes to the difference. Love and hate are not opposites. The opposite of love or the opposite of hate is indifference. And indifference, when somebody just doesn't care, there's nothing worse to be on yeah. the receiving end of that. If you have a wow. relationship that goes bad or whatever. Yeah. Ooh, so good. So good. All right. So we're going to, we, we jumped the gun on our question, but our question for today is what is creativity? And for those of you listening, if you want to join one of our upcoming group coaching cohorts, uh, where we discuss questions like creativity and putting yourself out there and starting new projects, uh, check out radreads.co slash coaching. Okay. So Jeff, you mentioned that this is a very, very common question on, on, on creativity. And I see it more through the lens of social media, but it, it could be through any creative act. It is the fear of being perceived as cringe. And the number of people that say, I have this idea that I want to write about on LinkedIn, or I have this photo, this little video of myself talking that I want to put on Instagram or YouTube, but I am so scared of my friends back channeling a group chat that say, did you see what Kay put out there? Which, which by the way, has happened to me many times. I have found out ex post. What's happening in that? Because we talked about this kind of um, self-protection. What's happening in this moment of creative desire meets world writ large and scary people that want to talk shit and tear you down and you know all through this lens of cringe i'd love for for you to break that down uh how you see it and are you talking about cringe is folded into that the notion of am i an imposter an imposter syndrome or i think it it could i i don't even i think it's before imposter mm -hmm. it's more just like I'm scared of criticism. Right. Okay. So I think it's, the cringe is the, 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 the critique is that you are, the thing you did is cringeworthy and, and mm -hmm. to be labeled cringeworthy is, you know, it's the whole public speaking thing. It's like, I'd rather be dead than, than embarrass myself on a stage. Yeah. I'd much rather embarrass myself on a stage because <laughs> that would even give me another good story. <laughs> then we wouldn't be here. 
Yeah, I mean, but you know, that doesn't mean the thing about it is if you look at it, that you know, everything's another chapter, everything's another story. And uh, sometimes those stories of things that didn't go well are what makes the story interesting. Yeah. And gives you the opportunity to learn from something that you did. Uh, Criticism never feels good. Yeah. However, like in theater, we call it notes. You know, the the director or me will give notes about a performance or what we'd like to see. Now, of course, it depends on who's giving the notes, whether they're mean, whether they have compassion for what you're trying to do or empathy for the position that you're in. And my feeling is that if you are afraid of being criticized, from the get-go, you are so handicapping what it is you can do because there is there are two really important factors. One is confidence and the other is courage in terms of being creative and taking risk in any aspect of your life. And the difference between confidence and courage is that confidence, you have a reasonable belief that the outcome is going to be positive because you've done it enough times before and the outcome is usually good. So you have the confidence when called upon that you can do that particular thing, that capability that you can do that and things are going to be okay. Courage, on the other hand, as you're stepping off the edge into the darkness, you don't know what the outcome is going to be, but you're going to risk that because being creative, part of that is that compelling need to get your stuff out there. Yeah. And I think that uh, with creative people, they both don't want the criticism because nobody does, uh, but they also, they want to get their stuff out there. Yeah. And that's, you know, kind of part of the package because there's that's always a- going to be people and people not being too nice about it. Yeah. Uh, and the interesting thing is when it's really positive, and I fortunately have that with my director, it's a great collaboration. And everything I have done, and when I'm teaching, I'm collaborating with the students. When I'm filmmaking, I'm collaborating with the talents in front of the camera, my cinematographer, all of that. Uh, When I'm writing, I'm collaborating with my editor. Uh, And so there's a healthy exchange of ideas. Yeah. But you can't control other people's responses to you. That's the part about the fruits of your labor. I believe you should enjoy the fruits of your labor. I think there's nothing to matter with being happy with what you've done. In fact, I think that's a, a, a worthwhile goal is that's to be true. happy and fulfilled. Otherwise, why are you doing it? You know, that's you could be doing something else. So I think it, it I think that people are afraid of the risk. And if you're yeah. afraid of the risk, you have to have the courage to step into that darkness where you don't know the outcome. But if you do that's that enough you can build the confidence and that stretches you emotionally and intellectually as a person to be able to do more yeah, and have yeah. a richer form of expression as a result of it, because you've stretched your boundaries. There's a, f- a few things that, that come out. One is just, it's funny how branding works, right? When you shift criticism to notes, like, oh, notes feels so much <laughs> That's so empowering. It's so intellectual. It's so wise. Criticisms, you know, the scary, scary monsters. I, I was just uh, observing on the the branding of uh, uh, in the world, I guess, of, of playwrights. Um, and then the the other is as you 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 got to it is current confidence uh, comes from the repetition, but at before you get confidence, you needed to have the courage at some point. Right, because you know ne- you never start. Um, That's right. You never start. How does one practice courage? By doing things that are uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, uh, and when I say doing things that are uncomfortable, I'm not talking about walking over hot coals, you know, or pulling you know barbed wire up from your ass through your esophagus. I'm not talking about things like that. Tony Robbins uh, or David Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, two great therapists. And, uh, you know, that's like circus stuff. Uh, I think that the things that scare us, there are things to be legitimately afraid of, you know. Uh, and so I, what I'm talking about is what's the worst possible thing that could happen if you put out a blog post and people don't like it? You get no reaction. That's the uh -huh. worst thing. If you get dueling reactions that this person it triggered a person in a negative way, but then somebody else defends it and they get into their whole online dialogue and it engages people, that could be pretty cool. But, but. You don't know any of that until you put it out there. So if you expect to grow as uh, a creative person, I think that risk is essentially uh, an absolutely necessary part of that. But, but. And the question that I think that breeds is what are you afraid of and what is failure? How do you define failure? I mean, how do you define uh, failure? God, that, that's a great question. And, and my answer would have probably evolved over the years, but I'm very much of the school of, of control, you know, put in your reps, put in your process, control what you can control. And so failure is when I know that there's something that I should be doing and I don't do it to the extent that it, that I know in my core, it needs to be done. Uh, and then I don't get the outcome that I want. So that would be kind of one way I think of failure. Uh, another way would be, um, you know, sometimes you do, you work, you know, I, I could think with this. You know, when we had five employees before we laid four four people off, I did everything in my power to grow the business that could support five employees, and it just turned out that I it was the wrong business, and so there was nothing I could have done differently in the path that I had created, and so in that regards, it was a failure in the sense that you know I had a plan. I executed the plan to the best of my abilities. I really put in 120%, um, but the outcome wasn't what I wanted. And in this case, other people's lives were impacted, right? That's probably the hardest part about the failure is when something that, you know, I am spearheading, I'm, you know, ultimately responsible for doesn't work out and other people's lives are impacted that I, I view that as a failure of sorts. Um, that being said though, I, that's changed a lot for me over the years in the past. It was just, there's a benchmark that needs to be hit. Like, uh, I don't know, you're a top student in your high school. You have to go to an Ivy league school. If you don't go, you're a failure, you know, and if you do go and to be, to be honest, by a lot of objective benchmarks in my life, especially when my life had a much more linear path, I usually cleared what in my mind would have been the failure point, so to speak, whether it's promotions and so on. So, I, so to, to recap, I think I, I, I don't, I don't think to me, failure is not upholding your, your commitments, right? And when you, when you, honor your commitments, it might not, you might not get the desired outcome. I don't really like you have failed, but I don't view that as a, a disheartening, a disappointing failure, so to speak. So what you were doing from our, this is from our conversation when we saw each other a couple of weeks ago, you were doing online curriculum, right? Yes. Online, grew, uh, online productivity courses. And which grew during COVID when everybody was sort of at home looking for things to do. Stimulus then, checks. Yeah. And then once coming out of COVID, you could no longer support the business that you had built yeah. because it was, I guess, at a weird blip in our history, so to speak. Exactly. Zoom calls. Our selling point used to be, we have 76 hours of Zoom calls. And people were like, yes. And then, you know, the world reopened and they're like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom became the ultimate four-letter word. But- for what you have done since, is it fair to say that in a way it's 
an extension on what you were doing before in terms of the message that you want to communicate, yeah. uh, but you're doing it differently. Yes. So you haven't failed in your mission, no. uh, but that method of getting it out there was no longer working or no longer relevant. Yep. And to me, failure, and I think you 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 said it well when you said it was a it, it's failure to you was not living up to your commitments. Yeah. But I also think that failure is giving up on something that has importance and meaning to you. Uh, now, there are times you should let go, but there are other times that what you learned as a result of it, like what you've been doing since. Yeah. is your, the, those same messages of productivity uh, right. and all of the things that, that are important to you are still very much in what you communicate and what you do. Yeah. You're just doing it differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, thank so, you. So I it's think nice that's really- It's nice to feel seen that, that way. Pardon? It's nice to feel seen that way. So thank you. Well, uh, but I think that's what it is. It's not like, oh yeah, uh, Kay, now he's, yeah, he's baking bread. You know, he's, he's, yeah. he's selling bread online now. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's given up on communicating anything about people's values and commitments. But he's got mm-hmm. a hell of a sourdough he learned how to make during COVID. <laughs> I hear you. What about, though, the, the letting other people down? And again, I'm very careful. I don't feel like I failed because I did everything in my power to, in, 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 my own, in my own mind. Uh, but people's lives were impacted, you know, and how are they, how are they impacted? Loss of, loss of a, a a paycheck, you know, in, in a loss of a paycheck in a challenging economy. Uh That would be one thing. I think another that was pretty hard for me was that, you know, some people that joined our company could have gotten jobs at Facebook and, you know, they took, they made it, this is what it, this is what it is, Jeff. People made a bet on me and I didn't deliver to the individuals uh, in reciprocity of the bet that they had made on me. And so I don't, I don't view it as a failure, but I was very disappointed about that. Mm-hmm. And what is making a bet? What was their incentive for making that bet? Um, well, I don't want to speak for them, but if I, if I well, were you, to but you are speaking, you, you are speaking for them when yeah. you're talking about the disappointment about down, the yeah. paycheck and, you know, you didn't yeah, say no, don't take right. the job at Facebook, you know, yep, you didn't right. say that to them. You're right. I think the bet was, well, I know that, that, that part of the bet was the mission. They believe in the mission. Uh, the values of the company, of how we work, how we respect one another. Like, for example, we work 30-hour weeks. We There's no concept of a workday, right? It's uh, unlimited vacation. And there, it's built on trust, psychological safety. Like, I, I really cared. I took all the things that I had read and learned about people and relationships and organizational design and, and wanted to apply them to, to a company. So, I think the bet was on the mission, the way the company was structured, and the ability to um, experience a unique career path. Right. So they were therefore placing a bet on doing something that they found appealing and that they would be, you know, over time remunerated for. Mm-hmm. Yep. Was that accurate? Yeah. Okay. So because a wager involves two sides. If somebody's placing a bet, they're looking for some kind of a positive outcome on that bet. Yeah. And the information is, you know, whether you're playing poker or you're deciding on a job one over the other or something else. Uh, so it's a, it's a two-sided situation. <laughs> there is no certainty. We don't yeah. know what's going to happen. So, you know, it's interesting because in theater, uh, I've got about, 19 investors okay. and we have to do with every investor gets a prospectus. It's roughly like 35 pages of with, of which 
29 of them are disclaimers about, oh, yeah. you know, you've like seen act that. Act of God, sure. like a hurricane <laughs> could destroy the theater and you won't get your money back. And recognition of the risk, that it yeah, is a high-risk yeah. proposition. Every startup is a high-risk proposition because the vast majority of startups don't make it, Yeah, right? You know, so those who joined up with you were at the very least looking for a job and found that to be appealing. And others were hoping, oh, this could potentially be a home run. I won't take that job at Facebook, but they made those decisions. So you put something out there. uh, It didn't work out. There are no guarantees. And all of those people, I'm willing to bet 100% of them, had a job before they took yours. Yep. So they were looking whether they were newly available because they got laid off during COVID or whatever the hell it was. And so that aspect of what you were doing didn't work out. Doesn't mean you feel good about it, but I think it's important to realize the transactional nature of placing a bet. Yeah. No, it's, it's very helpful. It's very helpful to hear you. And, and if I'm honest, I think part of, um, something that, that I struggle with is, putting taking too much taking too much on right like you made a very balanced case that this was a two-side conversation but in my you know monkey brain it's like okay you know you everyone you know this was all on you and and you didn't deliver which is probably i mean there's it's probably a trait of uh of entrepreneurs it's probably a, a, a trait of a certain type of person but it's it's helpful it's helpful to hear it reflected back to me because I I don't see the other side of it. Just like I would imagine the person who's like, this post is going to be cringed. Like they don't see the other side, which is 99% of the time people just ignored it because there's too much stuff to read online. <laughs> and then the yes. 1% was like, okay, cool. And then, you know, 0.01% was like, this is really good. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I suspect if you looked back in your life, I would suspect that something that you absorbed, whether it's parental or whatever, uh, you know, the not letting people down. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. but it becomes, it's interesting. I don't know the what the word would be, but it's not you letting them down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's no. not you letting them down. Believe me, I get the fact. I remember when I was... 24, I had 120 people working for me. And I had started my first company and I had to lay off the majority of them, all of whom were substantially older than me, most of whom had families and kids. Yeah. And that was rough. That was really rough. I wish that I could have talked to somebody back then. I mean, eventually I did, but to get a bigger understanding of that. Cause I was also, you know, pretty used to as used to it as you can be at 24, you know, I had built the business quickly and successfully and all of that. And this was a pretty big hit and it was a big hit emotionally. Uh, but you know, so many of these things in business and in life, but in business in particular are bets. And it's important mm-hmm. to look at that other side of it so that you don't take on a disproportionate amount of the emotional burden because you didn't force anybody to take the job. Yeah. 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 No, and you did your best to try to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you when you want, because a lot of people listening, (laughs) a lot of people listening are, you know, it's been a tough stretch for entrepreneurs. Seems like it's starting to turn around a bit. Uh, just reading today, you know, City Citigroup laid off twenty thousand, uh, an- another twenty thousand people. Google laid off people last week. When you were in that moment, and you're like, "Fuck," you know, because I w- I thought I was on top of the world, everything was going well, and I just laid off. I forget the number you said, one hundred twenty uh, people with families. How did you pick yourself up? How did you reorient yourself to, because in many instances like that, people's confidence can get shattered. 
right? Um, amongst other things, I know my confidence was really badly bruised by that uh, by the that round of layoffs. How did you? How did you? Or how have you learned or seen others kind of pick themselves up from these low points in in different phases of career and business? Well, for for me, you know, initially. It was just hard to get out of bed in the morning because I didn't want to face the drag that was inevitably going to be that day and the next day and all of that. I didn't want to uh, face with having to talk to the people and tell people that I had to lay them off. Uh, that was all really difficult uh, because I had compassion for the positions that they were in. and. You know, it was, it was tough, but I also knew that, you know, I couldn't stay under the covers in fetal position, you know, that life goes on. And again, I think that it's the word that is overlooked all the time in terms of entrepreneurship and being out there, putting your ideas out there and so on. And I think it's the most important word to understand is perseverance because it's fucking hard. Yeah. It's hard to start. It's not hard to start a business. Not it's there. hard to grow it, even harder to sustain it. And, uh, you know, that's a tough thing. And if you don't have the ability to persevere and be yeah. resilient enough to bounce back from some of the disappointments and obstacles that are inevitably going to happen, then, you know, you've got to learn how to deal with that in a, in a healthy way. Yeah, uh, and that doesn't mean that you don't go through a period of grief and mourning for the business and all of that. But at some point, you need to just get gone again. Yeah, and yeah. and I think that uh, whether you're an employee who's got to find another job or an entrepreneur that needs to reinvigorate or start another business, you know, you've got to understand the importance of that perseverance because. So many things don't work out, you know, uh, but that doesn't mean you give up. Yeah. And, you know, the fine line I think is where does my, where do my efforts go from, uh, commitment to being delusional, you know, because, yeah, yes. because this ain't working and I got to make some hard decisions. Yeah. Okay. So I want to, I, I want to click into that point because we're talking about creativity we're we're recording in january this will come out in february and a lot of people are they're they're ja they're revving up their vision boards they're firing up those 10-year plans they're setting those intentions they're picking the word that will define the year for them um a lot of folks listening to this will not will not start they will, there's some project that they want to start, start a new job search, start a blog, start, uh, taking care of their health. Um, many will not start. I'm sorry for those of you listening, but I've seen this. <laughs> That's why I have a coaching practice is because many of you will not start when it comes to these, these new projects, creative projects. What's why, why is it so, why are they so hard? You, you said they're not that hard to start, and but I think it was in a slightly different context. What, what what makes starting a new creative project so hard? Well, it's interesting. I think that uh, again, some people it's not hard because yeah. they have such a flood of ideas. It's just basically mm. not being paralyzed by the analysis mm -hmm. and moving, making a decision to move forward on this idea instead of that. Uh, realizing that everything, nothing is going to align perfectly. So what is it you most want to be doing? And it's a question that I asked all the guests in my class that I think is really important that a lot of people, it's really interesting the response I get to this question, and but it's it goes back to my core beliefs, which is, I would say, and I'll ask, I'll ask you this question, yeah. which is, if we would have known you when you were a kid, would we have seen 
the qualities and characteristics that we see in you now. And so if somebody who knew you when you were a kid say, oh yeah, it makes perfect sense what he's doing now. Mm. I totally get it. That's what he was like as a kid. Or God, I would have never anticipated he'd do that because he always, you know, was, he was always a different kind of kid, never got along with anybody. And now he seems to care about everybody and all that sort of thing. What yes. was it that lit you up as a kid? Ooh. What lit me up as a kid? All right. It's going to sound, uh, I'm going to say it. It was making money. Mm-hmm. And there was this insane amount of resourcefulness and creativity around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I once, I, I remember my, this is a, a classic family story. I think I was six or seven years old. We were in, uh, in Thailand off, and one of the beach, beach islands on the islands. And I collected a bag full of hermit crabs. And I went up to the, you know, the women, the, the local workers that were either cleaning the beach or selling fruit to the tourists. And I went up to them and, and said, do you want to, do you want to buy these hermit crabs for, you know, $3? And they like pretended they didn't speak English. They, they probably didn't speak English. And then I went to a, a German couple tourist and I said, do you want to buy my hermit crabs? And, uh, and they kind of like, you know, cute boy, pat on the head type, type stuff. And from that on, there was always this, I, I think is actually a tremendous creativity. I displayed a tremendous amount of creativity around ways to make money uh, as a kid. And so if you look at my Wall Street career and my entrepreneurial career today, I don't, you wouldn't be surprised at all. And Mm -hmm. there was an intense dedication and determination. Another thing you wouldn't be surprised is that I was probably, I was always a kind person and I think I still am a kind person. So I think that that was a kind of through line. I think the part that people would be surprised about and, and I've surprised myself about is um, a, a willingness to introspect and to really kind of rip the layers off of my you know psyche and a real like intensity to that. That was not that it, that would be, you know, not on the, you know, 1997 K bingo card. So that's how I'd answer Right. And I, I would say that what you've been doing, especially since leaving the financial markets, uh, and especially from what I've read, so I can't claim to be mm. up to date on everything, but you are doing those things now. The coaching mm. is a part of that. Yep. Sharing the knowledge, profiting from the knowledge that you've accumulated over the years, all mm-hmm. of that. And I think it's really important to understand what were those things that we really loved doing as kids? Yeah. Uh, what in, and it leads back to what engaged, what lit you up, what was mm-hmm. fun, what yeah. what gave you gratification, all of those things. And you know, if you want to start a business, there are certain there are certain academic questions I think one needs to ask themselves. You know, just in terms of being smart about starting a business. But I think that the emotional part of it, the decision to start something and put that idea out there, I think it's, it's worth a deep dive into one's own psychology so you understand yeah. what moves you. Yeah. Because again, it goes back to the perseverance. You know, if you don't really love it, it's going to be really hard to persevere through the difficulties. And so if you, if you looked at, you know, you had incredible guests in your class, in, in your book, and you ask them all this question, you know, what, what did, what did childhood you, what lit up childhood you, and then com- contrast that to you as an entrepreneur, as a creative today, how would you synthesize the, 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 the results of, of, of that, you know, across hundreds of conversations? Were there any patterns? I would say that the vast majority of people who are involved in what we call the arts, be they painters, musicians, actors, whatever, uh, the vast majority of those, what they love doing as kids is what has matured into what their adult career is. Got it. Uh, and that that is something that they had in their sights, you know, forever. 
Uh, and there are people that had, let's say the accidental successes. Uh, this is again, a generalization, but there's not the same sense of gratification because although they're doing really well financially, emotionally, there's a hollowness to it because they don't necessarily really love what they're doing. They love no. the fruits of the labor. They love the money. But emotionally, uh, it's not satisfying. And at a certain point in life, if you examine it, some people, it's like, so is that all there is? Yeah. Yeah. Is that, I mean, those are the people that is, come to me for coaching. <laughs> That's literally the question. Is that all there is to life? Is this it? And my question would be to them, well, what do you think? What do you uh, think? Is that all there is? Where did you come up with that belief that it was, that's what it was in the first place? Why yeah. do you do what you do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll go back. I, I'll play that out in a, in a different way, in a slightly different way. Because when I often ask this, the childhood question to, to folks, and again, these are, these are more people that are looking for a career pivot. So they've been in a more traditional field, finance, consulting, law, tech. And what immediately happens is they'll say something like, I loved snowboarding or I love Magic the Gathering. And then immediately where their brain goes is, well, um, should I become a, should I start a snowboarding company? Should I go become the CFO of Burton or, you know, controller at Burton? Uh, if it's Magic the Gathering, it's, you know, um, can I, you know, is, can I start a competitor? Can I invest? There is this immediate jump from childlike wonder and delight into monetization. How will this make me money? And there's a reality that, you know, those folks do need to make money. But it feels like there's a there's a bit of a, uh, what is it, like a, a transformation or, you know, a misdirection of sorts and a, 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 an emotional catfishing of sorts that uh that that immediately ends it what what often feels like a dead end what do you think's happening in in i know you haven't maybe you've spoken to people that that have this reaction but um what do you think's happening in that moment happening in the moment that what did they discover that's not what they wanted or no when they just when they think that the thing that lit them up as a child needs to make the money as a 45 year old i think that uh, the calculus for the living one has to make, you know, which depends on one's life circumstances and, and all of that. You know, I started my first adult business, uh, you know, when I was 21, 20, so 21, uh, yeah, I had a lot of other jobs, but this was my first adult business when I started a company <clears throat> and, um, you know, what was interesting in reflecting on this is that we all construct our narratives through the rearview mirror. You know, we don't really know until we're looking back as opposed to looking forward. And I think that a lot of times, because my business grew so quickly, uh, what was interesting about that is I realized, and I think this happens to a lot of us, it becomes more about the momentum and capitalizing on the momentum and you stop reflecting because you got so much shit to do all of a sudden because everything is growing so quickly. Uh, you're having to hire people, you're having to find a bigger space, you're having to do all these kinds of things. And I think that to me, money, success, all of those things are byproducts. Now, you want to have a big enough byproduct financially to live the kind of life that you yeah. want to live, but I think you also have to prioritize what is that. And I can honestly say that I have never, money has never been the primary motivator to me. Yeah. I have fortunately always found ways to make money doing what I really love doing, which isn't always easy, but I've always done that, you know, so far. I've been. And I say I'm fortunate, but I've also worked my ass off, yeah. you know, to be able to do that. So I think that uh, if money is, I don't care what I do, as long as I make, you know, $4 million a year, 
you know, all right, you can make four million a year. What you need to do is is uh, slaughter cows and you know uh, sort their innards for various meat packaging products, spam, and you know all of that. Uh, you still want to do it for the money, and and again, by the way, I want to put an umbrella over all of this. Is that fortunately? You've been in the position, I've been in the position, maybe to take greater chances that people of less financial means yeah. don't have the luxury of. Totally. Some people need that income immediately because of their living circumstances. So yeah. I also want to be mindful of that because people's lives are different. And I, I you made a joke earlier about Tony Robbins and uh, you happen to say David Blaine, but- you know, the, the thing is, I don't believe in the myth of replication. I call yeah. it the myth of replication, which is because so-and-so, like if you read The Millionaire Next Door or The Seven Highly Effective Habits of Seven Highly Effective People, to me, there is no prescriptive means for success other than best practices. Yeah. And, you know, once you get beyond the best practices, then you have to learn how to relate to people how to deal with people, all the emotional intelligence it takes, because it takes a lot more of that ultimately. You know, you yeah. can always hire good accountants, you can hire good salespeople, you got to build a great team and all of that. But you're not going to replicate anybody else's life or success because you think you can do what they're going to do because everything is different, whether you know it or not. Yeah. You're not yeah. them, the people you know aren't the people they know, the circumstances they're at, all that sort of the thing. Market, and I think there's a yeah. lot. Pardon? The market's different. The environment's different. Everything. Everything. Yeah, everything. And, yeah. you know, everybody's always looking for that magic key to unlock the door to success. Yeah. And I haven't seen anything that works other than executing well on a good idea that reaches the marketplace in a way that consumers understand what it is and it's desirable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, fu it's funny you, you say that because I was just out surfing with a friend and he's a 63 year old gentleman and he, we went for a walk three or four years ago and he said, Hey Kay, I want to start a podcast. And I tell everyone that wants to start a podcast a newsletter, a YouTube channel. I was like, okay, great. You've got to do at least 50 before you really even know the thing. Right. And really understand the texture of it, whether you like it, how it works, what your audience likes and so on. And, um, and I'm happy to give you advice and, and, and so on. I have had that conversation a hundred times in the past nine years. Less than 10 people have made it past 25. And so it's like, well, and those are the, 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 those are the people that are buying the book that's promising the replication. And then the other, the five, the 10 that did it, they're just like, okay, I know what I need to do. I just need to keep doing it. And yeah, maybe they'll get a coach to tweak, you know, one lever and maybe they'll hire, you know, they'll hire a consultant or read a book to tweak another lever, but they're, 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 they real, they, they reach the point that there's no silver bullet. There's only, um, you know, gold finishes, so to speak, that, mm -hmm. that even then are hard, are hard, hard to acquire. And, and, and we, we were reflecting back. I'm like, it is, it's that, it's that simple. Right. And that's why. I could say so confidently that many of you are who are listening are are have these grand grand plans to not drink this year and you know start your newsletter and so on, but it's not going to happen. I just know statistically it's 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 not going to happen, and um and I think you're right. So many folks are just they want to you know control command C command V. They want to copy and paste the thing that worked for X without taking into account the nine million hidden variables. That shapes that, right. the 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 outcome. Right. So and again, it's back to the perseverance, isn't yep. it? You yeah, know, those yeah. that give up after the majority of podcasters give up after eight. Yeah, yeah. They say if you yeah. make it to twenty, you're in the top one percent, which is amazing because it doesn't seem like it takes yeah. that much, but it's no. a lot of work involved. Yeah, and you know, it's again that comes back to that word perseverance. Yeah, you know, you got to persevere to get at least forty or fifty out there, mm -hmm. and find your audience, and you know, all your of that voice. sort of a thing. Yeah, and uh, and I think that people 
grossly underestimate the amount that, of work it takes to get something done and out there. Absolutely. Because, especially in the era of the internet, the gurus are motivated to make it sound so easy that there's just download this four-part playbook, download this 10-step program, right? And it just, it's, it's just, it, it never works that way. So, well, I, I have one last question for you. It's, uh, it gets to the heart of the exam in life. And my question is, is creativity a required ingredient for a life well-lived? It's an interesting question because I, I look at it about all the things that feed creativity, mm. you know, and what I mean by that is I think curiosity is absolutely essential yeah. for a well-lived life. Uh, I think that engagement is absolutely in essential. Uh, I think a sense of humor is absolutely essential. Uh, and I think connection to others is absolutely essential. And the thing is that if you seek those things, that'll often lead you to some kind of creative path. Maybe you love doing photography while your day job is at BlackRock. Yeah. And, you know, you're able to pursue those things. You know, you can do creative stuff. That's a hobby. You know, I happen to have made the more difficult choice of doing creative stuff to make a living. You and, me, you I, and me both, my friend. <laughs> so I think that the key is, as I said, it's that curiosity is the fuel that drives creativity yeah. because you're trying to solve some kind of a problem, whether the problem is, how do I get my ideas out there? What's the best way? Do I write? Do I paint? Do I sing? Do I play an instrument? Do I dance? You know, whatever it is. And I think that what is really important, this is often overlooked, is the only permission you need to do that is your own. Yeah. Because if you're asking permission of others, you're already putting yourself in the subservient position. Yeah. And if you truly want to be creative, you figure out how to do it. That's part of being creative. Yeah. I love that. Jeff, beautiful. Thank you so much. I, I'm deeply inspired. I'm going to, I'm going to go, go and be creative right, right now on the Friday afternoon. <laughs> yes. Thank you. This has been such a helpful conversation and I, I, I really can't wait for our, our listeners and, and viewers and subscribers to see it. So tell us Are where you actually, you actually recorded this. <laughs> well, we're going to, we're actually going to delete it. Right. And then the, the joy was just the conversation, right? <laughs> That's it. I don't care about the outcome. Fuck, fuck the it. sponsors. <laughs> um, fuck YouTube. Um, tell us, um, where, where can, can people dive into your vast world of creativity and your vast portfolio uh, uh, of art and, um, and talent. Well, you can follow me on LinkedIn and, uh, every week I will post usually four or five clips from the guests I've had in class that are share their insights. And what's wonderful is they don't agree with each other. So like in life, you know, you, you different points of view and you have to apply your own intelligence to make choices about, well, that, that I could do that. That works for me. Uh, there's the Instagram site, which is at a creative career, uh, the at sign and the creative career, madoffproductions.com, which is the website for my film business. Uh, I have also an Instagram site, which is, uh, be Jeffrey Madoff, uh, no spaces. And that's the black and white photography that I do. Uh, which I love doing. And I only do that totally for fun, uh, totally to keep my eye and my brain engaged as I walk around this amazing city, which is New York, uh, taking pictures, whether it's people or architecture or whatever. Uh, so I'd say any of those things, you can get an idea of what it is. You can get my book, uh, Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas, available at Amazon and all fun. And, uh, so those are the ways that we can sort of, uh, touch base. And I do respond when people, uh, ask me about LinkedIn and following and following back and all of that sort of stuff. Amazing. Amazing. Well, 
that's a whole segment right there. Just all the all the places to follow you, which which shows that you are that you are uh, preaching. Not only are you you're practicing what you preach, so um, that 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 is a true testament to to who you are and uh, what makes you such an incredible human being. So, well, you're I very thank you kind. so much, Jeff. You're you're very kind. See, that was the outcome I was hoping. I made all this <laughs> shit up over the last hour. But I was hoping the outcome would be, well, thank you, Jeff. That was great. That was brilliant. <laughs> and little do you know that I faked my way through the entire thing. <laughs> now, uh, thank you. It was great. As I knew it would be, uh, I didn't didn't yeah. take me courage to say yes when you asked me to be on your podcast because I had the confidence from knowing you that we would have a good uh, time doing it. So yeah. thank you. Ditto for you as a guest. So thank you, Jeff. <laughs>